MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, July 30th, 2021. Today, more evidence that Trump and Meadows called Rosen on a nearly daily basis to get him to overturn the election. Trump supporters are going door to door in Pennsylvania demanding to know which candidate voters backed. Judge Beryl Howell says insurrectionists are getting off too easy. The St. Louis County health director was assaulted after suggesting masks. Connor Lamb gears up for a Senate run. Mo Brooks was wearing body armor to the insurrection. And Biden's agenda results in the lowest poverty levels and highest GDP levels in a very long time. For now, at least. I'm Allison Gill. Everybody, welcome to The Daily Beans on this lovely Friday. It is Friday, and that means Amy Carrera will be joining me later for the good news segment. I'm very excited about that. I have tons and tons and tons of news to get through today. So bear with me while I do that. We've got a lot of headlines that have come out and a lot of weird things going on. A bunch of Republicans from the Congress just walked over to the Senate side without masks saying, I don't know what they were saying, something stupid, probably. But it's time for Pelosi to make a rule that says, much like Biden came out today and said, hey, federal workers and contractors, you have to have a vaccine to work or you have to show a negative test result and you have to wear masks. And we already have the mask rule on the House floor, but I think they should add a requirement for vaccines or negative test results. Again, nobody's forcing anyone to get a vaccine. You can forego the vaccine, but if you do that, you must get tested at least weekly and show that you have a negative result before you enter the chamber or your place of business, particularly, at least right now, for the federal government, though a lot of private businesses are starting to do this as well. Fox News has been doing it for a while, so don't let them tell you they hate this because they do it. And if Tucker Carlson hated it so much, he should resign in protest. Anyway, we do have a lot of stuff to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, lead story today comes from the Washington Post. Former President Donald Trump called his acting attorney general nearly every day at the end of last year to alert him to claims of voter fraud or alleged improper vote counts in the 2020 election. That's according to two people familiar with the calls. The personal pressure campaign, which has not been previously reported, involved repeated phone calls to acting attorney general Jeffrey Rosen, in which the former guy raised various allegations that he had heard about, you know, probably from the Kraken and elite strike force and Rudy Giuliani, just a bunch of the pillow guy. Right. Just all this craziness that, you know, just total disinformation and conspiracy theories. But he raised those allegations and uh, asked what the Justice Department was going to do about it. The people familiar with the conversation spoke on the condition of anonymity. Rosen told a few people about the phone calls, actually, even in his inner circle. But there are notes of some of those calls that were written by a top aide to Rosen named Richard Donahue, who was present for some of the conversations. And that's according to the people who are remaining anonymous at this point. Donahue's notes could be turned over to Congress in a matter of days, they added, if Trump does not file papers in court seeking to block such a handover. In addition, both Rosen and Donahue could be questioned about the conversations by congressional committees examining Trump's actions in the days after the election. The Justice Department recently notified Rosen, Donahue and others, and we reported about this, who were serving in the Justice Department during the end of Trump's presidency, that the agency would not seek to invoke executive privilege if they're asked about their contacts with the president during that period. That posture 
which the letter to Rosen calls a departure from normal agency practice, means that individuals who are questioned by Congress would not have to say their conversations with the president were off limits. They would be able to share details that give a firsthand account of Trump's frantic attempts to overturn the 2020 election and involve the Justice Department in that effort. I'm a little concerned that there might be some lawsuits about this, particularly if Trump tries to block this testimony, although I think these people might come voluntarily. But I don't know how the Supreme Court would handle this because it is, like they said, a departure from normal agency practice could pose a separation of powers issue or at least run afoul of executive privilege rules or deliberative process privilege, et cetera, et cetera. Neither Rosen nor Donahue responded to messages seeking comment, and the Justice Department spokesman Anthony Coley declined to comment, and a spokeswoman for Trump did not respond. In May, Rosen pointedly told Congress, and we remember this, that he did not do many of the things Trump supporters had demanded of him. Quote, during my tenure, no special prosecutors were appointed, whether for election fraud or otherwise. No public statements were made questioning the election. No letters were sent to state officials seeking to overturn the results. And no Department of Justice court actions or filings were submitted seeking to overturn the election results. That's what he testified to. The phone calls came in late 2020 and early 2021 when Trump and his supporters were furiously pressing for officials at all levels of the government to intercede in the usually routine process of certifying election results, you know, the ministerial process, asking them to either launch new investigations support unverified allegations of fraud or manipulation of vote counts or otherwise throw up roadblocks to Democrat Joe Biden becoming president. We know he, you know, in addition to these calls, he called Arizona. He called Georgia. He called Pennsylvania. He tried to get people in Michigan to not certify votes. We, we saw all of this as it happened. But these calls began almost immediately after Barr stepped down as attorney general in late December and ended after the insurrection. And that's according to the people familiar. Rosen was generally noncommittal, hearing the president out while not promising to take any specific action in response. That is an ongoing pattern. It happened with Don McGahn. It happened with Sessions. It happened with, where's my Roy Cohn, you know? And he would try to get people to do things and they'd be like, yeah, okay, sir, and then hang up the phone and not do them. Uh, Same with Jim Comey. I mean, this was a very common practice, so no one should be surprised here. But this is being reported here for for the first time. At times, people said he would try to change the subject, Rosen would, but was usually unsuccessful. Quote, Trump was absolutely obsessed about it, according to one person with knowledge of the calls. Trump was not the only one at the White House, though, reaching out to the Justice Department about ridiculous claims of election fraud. Mark Meadows, White House chief of staff, at times forwarded public claims of potential voter fraud to Justice Department officials, which some officials found exasperating, according to previously released emails that we knew. Meadows defenders have said he was just letting the department know about possible instances of illegality. These conversations also offer new clues into the president's mindset in early January when he entertained a plan to replace Rosen with Jeffrey Clark, who was a more amenable, malleable yes man for Trump. And we remember that we've reported on that. That possibly nearly touched off a crisis at the highest levels of federal law enforcement. On Monday, Associate Deputy Attorney General Bradley Weisenheimer told Rosen in a letter, you are authorized to provide information you learned while at the department, including your knowledge of attempts to involve the department in efforts to challenge or overturn the 2020 election results. This includes your knowledge of any such attempts by department officials or White House officials to engage in such efforts. 
The letter noted that the Senate Judiciary Committee is examining the time period after December 14th, 2020, when Barr left. And then Barr officially left the job one week after that, December 21st. And Rosen took over as the acting head of the Justice Department. Trump had grown increasingly frustrated with Barr for not echoing or investigating his false claims of voter fraud and even publicly disputing them. The Justice Department letter noted that even former officials are obligated to protect non-public information they learned in the course of their work and that they generally do not allow former officials to disclose documents relating to such internal deliberations. But the letter continues, the extraordinary events in this matter constitute exceptional circumstances warranting an accommodation to Congress in this case, including lawmakers' efforts to determine whether former President Trump sought to cause the department to use its law enforcement and litigation authorities to advance his personal political interests with respect to the results of the 2020 presidential election. What this says to me is, hey, we don't normally do this. And we've seen in previous decisions by the Department of Justice, namely the, the March 2019 Bill Barr memo about the deliberative process in which they decided that they weren't going to pursue obstruction of justice charges, that this Department of Justice was like, no, nope, deliberative process privilege is very important. We don't want to release the second half of this memo. But here they're saying normally we don't let former officials just say whatever and not, you know, invoke executive privilege. But due to these extraordinary exceptional circumstances, we're going to allow it. And that seems to open the door for all kinds of investigations into homegrown interference in the 2020 election. Coup stuff, sedition stuff by Trump himself and people in the White House. I don't know if that's what their intention is or if it's just to allow these folks to testify openly to the Judiciary Committee, but we'll see. This is a very interesting decision here. As a result, President Biden has decided that it would not be appropriate to assert executive privilege with respect to communications with former President Trump and his advisors and staff on matters related to the scope of the committee's proposed interviews, notwithstanding the view of former President Trump's counsel that executive privilege should be asserted to prevent testimony regarding these communications. That's huge. Similar letters were sent to Donahue and other Justice Department officials. People close to Trump said discussions have already occurred about whether they should move to block the testimony and records from becoming public, but no final decision has been made. So hats off to Josh Dazi and Devlin Barrett for this reporting. Stellar scoop. And again, I can't begin to explain the importance of this letter that this Department of Justice is not going to assert or invoke executive privilege for former DOJ officials. And usually they don't even let former DOJ officials, you know, they would step in. We, we would have seen in, in, a, in the angry era of where we all hate Merrick Garland, he would have stepped in and said, no, these, these folks don't have to testify. I'm, I'm putting my foot down. I don't want Rosen. I don't want Clark to testify. I don't want Donahue to testify. I don't want any of these documents to go to the Senate. And that, I think, is the kind of Justice Department we were all worried that we got, but we didn't. They're allowing for it. And it's like they said in the letter, a very unusual step. So hats off to both the reporters here and the Department of Justice for making that call. All right, we'll be back with more headlines. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, Beans listeners, it's AG. And today's episode is brought to you by Everlane. It's starting to get pretty hot out, so I'm keeping it easy and breezy this summer with Everlane's summer wardrobe. Every outfit looks great with Everlane's collection of premium quality affordable essentials. I love their clothes so much. I recently got their organic cotton cutaway tank. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's I got the black one. I like to wear a lot of black. 
But not only do I love the look and feel of it, but the style. It just looks good. It hangs on my body right. And it uses GOTS certified organic cotton, which is better for the soil and better for our water consumption and safer for the workers. Everlane has made quality clothing with ethical factories and radically transparent pricing since 2010. They use only ethical factories that provide fair wages and reasonable hours to the skilled people who craft their clothing. Since Everlane focuses on timeless design and sustainable materials, which is very important to us, you can wear them for years to come so they don't end up in landfills. And I appreciate Everlane's excellent quality and the fact their clothes are ethically produced. Everlane has everything you need to upgrade your summer uniform. Just check out their amazing sustainable swimwear collection, which is made from 13,000 pounds of recycled plastic. Everlane has all the everyday essentials you need from damn good denim to super soft loungewear. So go to Everlane.com slash Daily Beans and sign up for 10% off your first order and you get free shipping. And they always have easy returns. Within 30 days of your ship date, their customer service is amazing. That's 10% off your first order when you go to everlane.com slash dailybeans and sign up now. All right, everybody, welcome back. The Senate has just passed $2.1 billion bill to bolster capital security and grant visas to Afghans that helped the U.S. military. The vote was 98 to nothing. So this is a big bipartisan win. And Donald Trump supporters in other news are calling themselves an election integrity committee, and they're going door to door in Pennsylvania and demanding to know whom residents voted for in the November election. York County President Commissioner Julie Wheeler, a Republican, said she received numerous calls about alleged voter intimidation by members of the so-called committee and has referred the matter to law enforcement. That's according to the York Dispatch. Wheeler added that the committees have no affiliation with the government. County officials are currently weighing whether to comply with a forensic audit of the 2020 election spearheaded by the GOP state Senate Doug Mastriano based on the former president's false claims of fraud. Chad Baker, chair of the Democratic Party of York County, said members of the Election Integrity Committee, in quotes, appear to be targeting Democrats. Quote, this is an intimidation factor, and that's what their intent is. The timing of this doesn't seem suspect given the recent request of the audit by Senator Mastriano. Cyber Ninjas, the private firm conducting that fraud in Arizona, reportedly planned to use similar door knocking tactics earlier this year, which prompted a letter from the Department of Justice. As we know, the Department of Justice just sent out another letter to states warning them about voter intimidation and third party audits because it's against the law. We're still waiting for a lawsuit from the Civil Rights Division at Department of Justice. I hope we see it soon. By the way, I haven't heard any reporting that there's going to be one. I just think there should be. Also in Pennsylvania. Rep. Connor Lamb is expected to launch a Senate campaign in August, according to three sources familiar with the Democrats' decision. Two sources said Lamb is planning a campaign event on August 6th at an International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Union Hall in Pittsburgh, with one source noting that's where the congressman is expected to announce his Senate run. Multiple sources spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized by the campaign to speak publicly about his plans. Lamb's campaign did not respond to requests for comment. Lamb, a Marine veteran and former prosecutor, will join a crowded primary field seeking to replace retiring GOP Senator Pat Toomey. Lamb would likely be the most moderate Democrat in the race, as he's known for his willingness to buck his party and work across the aisle. However, Lamb has been more likely of late to vote with the majority of Democrats on votes that split the parties. Lamb's entry into the race intensifies a geographic divide in the Democratic Party, with both Lamb and Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman hailing from Western Pennsylvania. Two other candidates, State Rep Malcolm Kenyatta and Val Arkush, who chairs the Montgomery County Board of Commissioners, are based in the Philadelphia area in southeastern Pennsylvania, as is State Senator Sharif Street, who is considering a Senate run as well. 
Arkush and Kenyatta would both make history if elected. Arkush as the state's first female senator and the first female physician in the Senate. And Kenyatta as the first openly gay and black man to represent Pennsylvania in the chamber. Lamb brings a high profile and strong fundraising ability to the primary, though. His House campaign raised almost a million dollars from April through June. That's according to the FEC. But he still trailed Fetterman, who raised $2.5 million. That's more than twice, more than double in the second quarter. Arkush raised a million, followed by Kenyatta, who raised 500000 Fetterman also led the Democratic field with nearly $3.1 million left in his campaign account as of June 30th. Lamb had about $1.8 million on hand, while Arkush had 637000 and Kenyatta had 282000 First elected to Congress in a special election in 2018 that drew national attention, Connor Lamb flipped a western Pennsylvania district that Trump had carried by 20 points in 2016. It's a very viable candidate in certain swing districts. All right, we'll be right back with the insurrection news after this quick break. Stay with us. And by the way, you get these episodes early and ad-free for as little as three bucks a month if you just head to patreon.com slash the Daily Beans. Stay with us. Hello, friends. It's AG for The Daily Beans. Fewer, better things. That is the concept behind Kuyana, a San Francisco-based brand encouraging customers to buy fewer but more higher quality pieces. Kuyana crafts clothing, accessories, and bags that women will wear and use every day and cherish for a lifetime. Their leather bags are timeless, functional, and versatile. You can use them for all occasions. Kuyana's products meet the highest standards of craftsmanship as well as their commitment to sustainability. The company's second life program allows them to recycle every product they manufacture. Kuyana was founded by two women with the objective of creating high-quality, environmentally conscious products that last. Kuyana opened my eyes to the disposable fast fashion industry, and I've adopted a fewer, better attitude myself. I recently got the leather travel case set. I am in love with it. It is Kuyana's best-selling item, and, and there's a, a good reason why. Its multi-purpose design includes two leather cases, one small and one large, and they're great for traveling, which I do all the time. I use these to pack all my toiletries and beauty essentials when I'm on the go, but I also like to leave them out on my bathroom vanity because they're just so nice. It keeps everything organized and, you know, whether I'm at home or on the road. Kuyana never goes on sale, but we have a special offer for you. You can receive 10% off your first order, over $150 plus free shipping by visiting kuyana.com slash daily beans. And that will give you your individual code. That's kuyana, C-U-Y-A-N-A dot com slash daily beans. Start shopping fewer, better at kuyana.com slash daily beans. And today's show is also brought to you by the L.A. Times uh, and a new fantastic podcast out of the L.A. Times called The Times. Weekday mornings, the story begins in California. You get a West Coast perspective on story shaping policy and opinion with The Times, a daily that daily news podcast from the Los Angeles Times. Each weekday morning, listen to Gustavo Ariano and a diverse range of voices reporting from California on the most critical issues of the day. From immigration to income inequality, climate change to racial justice, nativism to technology, The Times explores the contradictions and hard truths of the Golden State and the nation through a West Coast perspective. As much as I enjoy the in-depth coverage and unique stories, I'm certain you will too. Featuring interviews and original reporting, The Times podcast helps you understand the world and how California impacts it. If an issue that affects California hasn't reached your town yet, it will soon. (laughs) Award-winning reporting, compelling investigations, and L.A. eccentricities, which are my favorite, are what you can expect from the largest newspaper west of the Mississippi. New episodes of The Times are available every weekday. To listen and subscribe, go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for The Times, daily news from the L.A. Times. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is from Zoe Tillman at BuzzFeed News. A federal judge on Thursday pushed back on the government's decision to ink deals in the Capitol riot cases that involve low-level misdemeanors, questioning whether that was appropriate 
for people involved in, quote, terrorizing members of Congress. The unusual exchange came during a plea hearing for Jack Jesse Griffith, who was charged solely with misdemeanor crimes for going into the Capitol on January 6th. He wasn't accused of violence or property destruction. As Griffith prepared to plead guilty to uh, one count of parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building, which is a Class B misdemeanor with a maximum sentence of six months in jail, U.S. District Chief Judge Beryl Howell, who we know well, asked the prosecutor to explain why Griffith's deal involved a class of crime typically reserved for people who did things like trespass in a national park at night. Quote, I'm just curious, does the government have any concern, given the factual predicate at issue here, of the defendant joining a mob, breaking into the Capitol building through a broken door, wandering through the Capitol building and stopping a constitutionally mandated duty of the Congress and terrorizing members of Congress, the vice president and the vice president who had to be evacuated? Howell asked, does the government, in agreeing to the petty offense in this case, have any concern about deterrence? This was the second time this week that a judge questioned whether defendants charged in connection with the insurrection are getting off too lightly in plea deals, even if they're not accused of more serious criminal activity, such as attacking police. On Tuesday, U.S. District Judge Reggie Walton, one of Hal's colleagues on the federal bench in Washington, D.C., briefly pondered whether he should jail two defendants who signed a deal similar to Griffith's, given their involvement in the atrocious act, quote unquote, of storming the Capitol. He ultimately allowed them to go home until they're sentenced in October. Griffith is the 27th defendant charged in the January 6th riots to appear before a judge to plead guilty and the 21st person to plead guilty to a single misdemeanor as part of an agreement with prosecutors. Either the parading count that Griffith pleaded guilty to or disorderly conduct in a Capitol building, which also has a maximum sentence of six months. Howell, in the end, accepted Griffith's guilty plea, but like Walton, put the government in defense through several paces before she did. She asked whether the government was concerned that an agreement involving a low-level misdemeanor was enough not only to deter Griffith from participating in a similar event in the future, but also the broader universe of the hundreds of people who descended on the Capitol that day. The circumstance that led to January 6th, a presidential election, happens every four years, she noted. Assistant U.S. Attorney Mitra Jaffray Harari and Griffith's lawyer H. Heather Shainer defended the deal telling Howell that Griffith had expressed interest in pleading guilty early on, something defendants throughout the criminal justice system typically get credit for, and had cooperated with law enforcement officials by turning over his devices and giving them access to his social media. Jafari Harari said that under those circumstances, the government decided it was willing to resolve it this way. We have to remember, and I've been saying this, that because of this massive amounts of defendants, they're probably going to just let do these plea deals real low, just to get these folks through the court system. But Beryl Howell pushed back on the notion that Griffith had earned the deal because of his cooperation, pointing out that the cooperation spelled out in the plea agreement was limited to sharing his online activity with investigators, not an ongoing commitment to speaking with law enforcement or testifying before a grand jury. Those types of cooperation agreements have cropped up in plea deals involving defendants accused of conspiring with other people to attack the Capitol. Howell has previously questioned whether the charges filed against people arrested for participating in the insurrection were severe enough to reflect the full extent of what happened on January 6th. In late January, as we know, she ordered defendant Richard Barnett to stay in jail after he was arrested on charges of bringing a stun gun into the Capitol, as well as several misdemeanors, and said at the time she thought the charges were too benign to capture the scope of Barnett's and others' participation. 
Barnett, who was photographed sitting in a chair in Pelosi's office with his foot on the desk, was later allowed to go home while his case was pending. Quote, what happened on that day is criminal activity that is destined to go down in history. And she said this this was not a peaceful protest. Hundreds of people came to Washington, D.C. to disrupt the transition of power and to thwart Congress, a branch of the federal government, in carrying out its duties in fulfilling the constitutional task of officially certifying the votes of the Electoral College. A spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office did not comment. Now, Shaner asked via email if she wanted to comment on Hal's remarks, replied, you heard her. She made herself very clear. And yesterday... You heard me go over the Mo Brooks decision from the Department of Justice in which they asked the court not to certify his speech at the ellipse as being within the scope of his job as a congressman. But after that story yesterday, some more news about Mo Brooks dropped. The Alabama representative, notorious for his speaking role at the insurrection leading up to the invasion of the Capitol, did not watch Tuesday's first hearing of the House Select Committee investigation. I was, uh, he says, I was in the House Armed Services Committee, Science, Space and Technology Committee and had at least one Zoom meeting and all sorts of other things. That's what he told Slate on Wednesday when he was encountered outside the House chamber. Busy day. Not that a clear schedule would have made a difference, probably. The purpose of that committee is not to discern the truth. He said the purpose is to create political propaganda that can be used in the elections in 2022 and perhaps 2024. But whether he's able to continue to avoid the committee altogether may not be up to him. Back in December, Brooks was the first House Republican to say ahead of the congressional electoral certification, he would object to certain states. On the day of certification, January 6th, he then gave a fiery speech at the rally at the Ellipse. Today is the day American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. Months later, he still argues that Trump would have won the election if only lawful votes were counted. Brooks' support of Trump's efforts to overturn the election successfully earned him the former president's endorsement in the 2022 Alabama Senate race, but it also earned him some legal issues. <laughs> California Representative Eric Swalwell, as we know, sued Brooks and others earlier this year for fomenting the insurrection. And the slate here then reminds us that the Justice Department refused Brooks' request to shield him from the lawsuit because he basically admitted he was thinking about winning elections and not doing his job when he started his rally chant. And although Brooks is claiming to dismiss the select committee hearings as a political stunt, the committee could seek to bring him in for questioning about what he knew or didn't know. And when Jim Newell here from Slate asked Brooks if he thought he would be subpoenaed, he said, I have no clue. Then he revealed a new detail to Slate that because of a tip he'd received about potential violence, he'd actually been wearing body armor at the very same ellipse speech in which he encouraged rally attendees to start taking down names and kicking ass. Quote, I was warned on Monday that there might be risks associated with the next few days. And as a consequence of those warnings, I did not go to my condo. Instead, I slept on the floor of my office. And when I gave my speech at the Ellipse, I was wearing body armor. That's why I was wearing that nice little windbreaker to cover up the body armor. But you're telling him now. Okay, weird. He didn't say who warned him or what the risk was. There was probably a half a dozen different motivations that affected people in varying degrees to engage in insurrection. He named, for example, quote, financial losses suffered because of the government's reaction to COVID-19 or the belief that there was a significant voter fraud and election theft or great love and respect for President Trump. In Brooks' affidavit asking the Justice Department to shield him, his lawyers emphasized that parts of his speech where he encouraged peaceful protests instead of physical violence. Once again, quote, Brooks makes no call for physical attacks in the Capitol uh, to the contrary, Brooks calls on the ellipse speech attendees to do one thing, utter words. The affidavit argues that taking down names and kicking ass 
was really about taking the names of Republicans who wouldn't support Trump's electoral college objections and punishing them in future elections. But if he was so sure the mob would understand the peaceful intent of his words, why did he need Kevlar? Why indeed, Slate? And by the way, this, this whole statement that he made, he's so stupid. This shoots holes in his defense in the Swalwell lawsuit, no pun intended. But we'll see if uh, that's used against him in court by the prosecutors. I think it will be if there is, in fact, an investigation and he is being looked at, which I think he is. And I'm also interested to see whether some judges like Reggie Walton and Beryl Howell start handing out heavier sentences for those who attack the Capitol on January 6th. All right, we'll be right back with the good news. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of the Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. You only need two minutes to get a good night's rest. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match your body type and individual sleep patterns to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. I can attest. I've had mine for nearly two years. It's like sleeping on a cloud. I wake up less sore and happier. I dream better. I sleep longer. I don't toss and turn. Um, I can't say enough good things about it because they're customized to fit the way you sleep. So they have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses that are great to cool you down if you sleep hot. They have mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains and even a Helix Plus mattress for our beautiful plus size sleepers. I prefer a medium firm mattress and I sleep on my side. So Helix matched me with the Helix Midnight. So it's perfect for me. It's a huge upgrade over what I used to have. And I used to have all the top brands. Delivery and setup was fast and easy. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine and AG. <laughs> Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors, doctors of sleep medicine. It's a go-to solution for improving sleep. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights. Helix is even financing. They have options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. And they're offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com dailybeans. Again, that's Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash daily beans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. You'd be so glad you did. And today's show is also brought to you by Canva Pro. As you know, for this show, we've created a wide range of content, including video, infographics, social media posts, website, logos, posters. But the creative process wasn't always seamless. Due to my poor design skills and software limitations, it took a ton of time and effort. But ever since I discovered Canva Pro, I can design anything like a pro on any device, too. Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create and share stunning content in just a few clicks. Designing with Canva Pro is easy and fun, no matter what your level of experience. There are thousands of professionally designed templates you can customize with simple drag-and-drop tools or start from scratch. Adding personality and edge to your designs is easy with Canva Pro's endless fonts, videos, and photos. And their extensive library of tools and features and imagery, it's all available in your subscription. So you don't have to pay for those individually anymore. Sharing, creating, and organizing designs as a group has never been easier either. Canva Pro helps you maintain team projects all in one place, so there's no more lost files. With Canva Pro's content planner, you save time planning, creating, and posting social media content too. Pause scheduled posts, edit them anytime. My favorite Canva Pro feature is the access to over 75 million photos and 400,000 free templates. I can easily design new logos, posters, and web events, and more. So design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you use our promo code. Just go to canva.me slash beans to get your free 45-day extended trial. That's canva, C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash beans. Again, canva.me slash beans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. And 
It's Friday. That means we are joined by the incomparable, often imitated, never duplicated Amy Carrero. Hello, Amy. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm back in L.A. And um, yeah, struggling to breathe. Is the air quality bad here or what's going on? I don't know. I'm in San Diego. I don't worry about y'all up there. I think it is. I think whatever wildfire trickling down, as soon as I landed here, I was like, hmm, my asthma's acting up. Yeah. But it's not Uh, COVID because I I am tested often and early. Oh, bummer. But yeah. So I'm I'm missing the clean air on the East Coast, but, Mm. you know, happy to be here (laughs) in the same time zone. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome back to the left coast. And uh, we have a lot of great submissions today. If you have anything you want to submit to us, whether it's good news or confessions, you know the list. You know the whole list. There's a whole there. I could just tell you things not to send and that would be shorter. And that's nudes. (laughs) Please spare (laughs) us the nudes. (laughs) And then uh, if you have a dispute you want settled in Amy's court, you can send those in and we'll we'll hit them on Fridays. So I'm going to go ahead and kick us off with this first one. It's pretty short. So I'll I'll take the first two here. It's from Kimberly pronouns she and her. Hey, Beans, here's just some pics of my girl Ellie, who absolutely adores her baby boys. Man, that's a cute baby and that's a cute baby boys. Oh, hi, Ellie. Wow. I love how they're sleeping next to each other. <laughs> I know. And that last one, especially they have like the same pose going on. Yeah. With their arms up. That's oh, great. It's very cute. All right. Next up from Patty, no pronouns given. It's 1 a.m. and my partner and I are sitting in a deli in Las Vegas, entertaining ourselves by playing Louis Gohmert is so dumb. (laughs) We've had quite a few good ones, but here are our final contributions. His contribution. Louis Gohmert is so dumb that he cheated off Sean Hannity's exams in college. Oh, burn, baby. Mine. Louis Gohmert is so dumb he makes Donald Trump look like daddy didn't buy his grades for him. Hey. Nice. nice. Hey. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Thanks to Allison, Dana, Amy, and everyone else for the fucking fabulous news with swearing. You're welcome, Yeah. We love that shit. We fucking love it. Okay, next up. We got Ben. Pronouns he, him, and Katie. Pronouns she, her. Hello again. It's It's the old good news, bad news. Katie and I started Wild in New York as a way to stay active and exploring during the pandemic with our acting careers on hold. Although the pandemic is very much not over, our industry is trying to pretend it is. Yep, I can can confirm. And we're both returning to work, which is great news. Katie is doing Kinky Boots on Norwegian Cruises. Yay, Katie. And I'll be doing a live version of the Polar Express in December. The downside is less Wild New York content. The upside, I know. The upside, Katie's cruise starts in Alaska and we'll both be in Miami in December. So we'll we'll continue making wildlife content. We've been encouraged by the Biden administration's stance on conservation and want to make sure folks know what, what kind of amazing creatures share our planet because people can't care about what they don't know about. That's true. You can follow our adventures across social media at Wild New York Show. And as penance for the naked self-promotion, please find attached a ruby-throated hummingbird, aw, one of the best pictures I've ever taken, a hungry chunk of a groundhog, and my big dumb German shepherd, Freya. (laughs) I love, I love Wild New York. I do. So at Wild New York Show. Oh, that's an amazing shot you got of the hummingbird. It is an amazing shot. It kind of looks like my tattoo. It does. It does. It so does. Look at that. I love it. And look at the little chonker. Uh, And oh, Freya. Beautiful doggo. Beautiful doggo. Love it all. Awesome. Next time you send a photo of your dog, Ben and Katie, please please send me the German shepherd tilted head of confusion. Oh, that 
because those Ooh. the German shepherds do the best ones of those. The best ones. All right. Thank you for that submission. And congrats about getting back to work. But also bummer because I love Wild New York. But I'm sure that now you'll get to, you know, go more places and have more wild stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of cool wildlife in Alaska. I'm sure I've never been, but, mm. you know, it sounds like a place. And being from Miami, I can tell you lots of gators, lots of frogs, lots of uh, fucking little lizards. So, yeah, enjoy. And the wildlife is at the clubs. At really. the clubs. <laughs> Yes, you can follow. You can find a wild manatee at a South Beach um, bar. Fucking oh my! I don't even know a single name of a club anymore. Isn't that sad? The hottest club in Miami right now is Wild New York, where you go in and you sit next to a manatee, yeah. and a lizard brings you a margarita. A sex on the beach. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, yeah, I don't know what they drink in Miami. My bad. Or mojito. Okay, sorry. Oh, we, we, yeah, we, this is off the rails. Mojitos. Okay, yeah, we are going off the rails. <laughs> I'm singing a mojito song. Okay, next I up from it. Anonymous, pronouns he and him. Well, since it seems like we're headed back towards shutdowns, here's mm. a quarantine confession. I'm so mad that I won't get to go to soccer home games the rest of the season. My wife and I decided to be bougie and got field level seats with open bar privileges halfway through the season. We only got to enjoy one fucking game with them. Jesus fuck. Why can't these folks realize the Republican leaders have been lying to them their entire lives? I know I should be more upset about the people that are going to die or be severely injured, like my sister, who was on event for three weeks, or my mom, who can barely walk afterwards. But right now I'm feeling very selfish about my complimentary beer to non-existent hell with all the folks who still don't take this shit seriously. Mm-hmm. Pet tax is a bunny rabbit I saw while walking to work. Oh, man, we're, we're really getting the wildlife treatment today. We love it. Hello, bun. Yeah, they come in waves and they all seem to come at the same time. I absolutely oh. love it. And yeah, no, it's it sucks. Dude, dude, we can't have nice things because of idiots. We can't have nice things. I went to a baseball game at Fenway Park last week before I left Boston. And when I tell you that we were the only, my husband and I were the only people with masks on and I get it. Cause people are like, I paid for these tickets. I want to be with that. You know, I want to enjoy the game, but like, you know, you're sitting so close in these old stadiums mm-hmm. that like, it doesn't even matter that it's outdoors, but man. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. And I hate it. I hate it too. Okay, next up, Shauna, pronouns she, her. Hello, Keepers of the Beans. Oh, I think that's my favorite title. Yeah. Keepers of the Beans. I do like it, too. Misheard lyrics, preschool edition. We were driving around listening to the local 80s, 90s station. George Michael's I Want Your Sex came on, and our four-year-old son piped up from the back seat. Daddy, how come that guy wants my socks? (laughs) Without missing a beat, my husband responded, his feet are really cold. I about, about died trying not to laugh. Ah, uh, kids. <laughs> I love that there was no like, well, the thing is that I'm, he's not saying socks. Nope. nope. His no, feet are cold. His feet are cold. And it's understandable. I want your socks. I mm-hmm. want your love. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Lo- I want, I do want your socks. I sleep with socks. I'm very sorry to say I'm one of those people. Okay. <laughs> we don't currently have any pets for a pod pet tax. So I've added a picture of Violet. ID number A3048333, who is at the Placer County Animal Shelter. I chose to share this beautiful girl because she's been at the shelter the longest, 121 days, and I love her happy face. Side note, did you pronounce Placer correctly? No, I'm sure I did Probably not. I'm sure I did Probably not. I've never thought it was hard, but recently heard a different podcaster pronounce it as place with an E-R at the end placer it's actually pronounced placer oh placer 
It's Placer? Oh, for fuck's sake. I, mm. well, now you've heard two podcast people pronounce it incorrectly. <laughs> okay, wait, so let me go back. She's at the Placer County Animal Shelter, but that's spelled Placer, okay? <laughs> Thanks for giving me five days a week of news with swearing. It's the best kind of news because I don't feel the need to add the swears like I do when I listen to Rachel Maddow. Smiley face. <laughs> Y'all are the best. Oh, what a baby. How come she's been there so long? She's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. She's got that broken arm, too. Or oh. whatever. I'm going to cast. Oh, bubble. What a honey. Oh, and I love her ears going. Whoop. They got little ears. italicized ears. There. I yeah. Like them. Someone go adopt this baby. This is little Violet. Yes. Again, Placer County Animal Shelter ID A is an apple 304833. Thank Where you. Where is Placer County also? Mm, Wouldn't know. know. Well, we'll find mm, out. Don't know. Somebody knows. Someone knows. People in Placer County know. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Next up from Laura, pronouns she and her. Hello, beans, queens, and leguminati. I, like so many, suffer from feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness. I've let work consume me because it's the only thing I know I'm actually good at, and I truly care about what I do. Wildlife conservation. Anyway, if I'm being honest, being a workaholic helps me avoid taking better care of myself and my relationships. Girl, I hear you. Yep. I haven't been on a proper vacation in seven years. Feeling you. Wow. Today, I turned 50 and I decided that this decade is going to be very different than the last. To that end, I'm giving myself a big birthday present. I'm spending the entire month of September in Hawaii woo, woo, woo. in a condo. That overlooks a gorgeous white sand beach that apparently has tons of sea turtles. Oh, cool. I cannot wait to watch the sunset over the ocean for an entire month. I'm excited to remember what bliss feels like, particularly after this past year and a half. Hell, six years. Anyway, thanks again for all the support. You all rock. For my pet tags, here are my fur boys, Turtle the Tabby and Oliver. And Laura, you're going to need to send us mountains of pictures from this place yes we are going to need pictures of this sunset and sunrise oh mm-hmm. i'm so happy for you laura you know you deserve it yep i'm so yep. glad you're doing that and i'm so glad you're starting starting a new decade off with uh self-care on the brain it's important because we can only get what we got and these fur boys are so cute so cute okay next step amy's court dun, dun. Dun, dun. status conference Ooh. Ooh. Maria pronounced she they. Update on the case Victoria Cat versus Maria Human. Previously heard by Amy's court. Oh shit. I'm, I feel like I'm going to get a slap on a slap. She's getting the slap. <laughs> Brief summary. The birds woke Victoria up at 4 a.m. and then woke her up her human. Results. I informed Victoria that the the court agreed with me and that she must stop waking me up at 4 a.m. just to go back to sleep shortly after. She agreed to no longer do this. She did not however actually comply. <laughs> So I decided in agreement with the birds that if she wanted to yell at them as they serenaded us at 4 a.m., she should be allowed to in person. So the next morning, 4 freaking a.m., I put her highness in her harness and brought her out to say hi to the birds. Oh, my God. She did not like the wet grass. She did not like the hedgehog by her water bowl. She did not like the weird early morning sounds. And also, she was still quite sleepy because it was definitely way too early to get up. So we went back inside and she went back to bed. We did this for three days. On day four, she loafed aggressively in her bed and refused to move when I tried to put her harness on. Day five, (laughs) she chirped a little at the birds. But when I stirred, she hurried back to her bed where she sat and watched them for a bit before going back to sleep. I think (laughs) I will call that a success for all. And yes, this update is mainly an excuse for sending in more pictures of my beautiful tyrant, LOL. The fake cat 
is my niece dressed up as Victoria for Fastelaven, like Halloween, but different and in February. Oh, my God. Okay, so this is great because you were either going to train the cat to stay asleep or train the birds to stay away. Yep. Wow. Wow. You know what? We had nothing to do with this, AG. I have to say, I, the idea, we, we, I don't even think we we suggested trying to train this cat. We were just like, let nope. the cat do what the cat's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. This is a brilliant solution. And I'm going to remember it for this is setting a precedent yes. for future court cases. This is a brilliant solution because mm-hmm. it relies on, you know, she did wake up for five days in a row that had to suck. But now she's going to get to sleep in. And that's mm-hmm. worth something. And now the cat is like, mm-hmm. I don't even want to fucking talk to these birds. It sucks. I hate yeah. it. Yeah, because if I talk to the birds, I have to go out in the wet with the groundhog and the and it's a harness. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. So win. Duh, this is a win for everyone wow. in this situation. And and like I said, congratulations. First of all, adorable photos. Oh. Second of all, you have set a precedent in Amy's court going forward for mm-hmm. for similar situations. And I think that the, the, I don't think this is necessarily a narrow ruling either. I think this can apply to all sorts of pets yeah. and situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should name this. We should name this. Um, I don't know. Should we? we the call Victoria, it? the Victoria. Um, what do they call that? Because there's like maneuver for dire and, and starry decisis. Victoria decisis. All right. Victoria Let's decisis. Decisis? Victoria Yeah, it's Latin. Oh, I love it. Castare decisis means, you know, by precedent, right? Ah, well, I didn't know that, but hey, I'm getting smarter by the minute. So Victoria decisis. Decisis. We love it. Yeah. And I'm going to actually, let me see if I can um, get you the exact direct translation here. The legal principle of determining points in litigation according to precedent. Right? Look at that. So. Wow. That's a Victoria decisis. Very, very cool thing that just happened. (laughs) We love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Maria. And thanks for all of you. And if you have a dispute that's kind of like Victoria's, send it in. We now we now have Victoria decisis and we can move forward, you know, with with much better rulings. Yeah, I think Uh, so, too. Shit. We're actually Mm going to solve people's problems. How cool? How cool is that? It's it's amazing. Yeah, I think much better than what we normally do, which is like, I don't know. The women wins, you know, the women win. But also (laughs) AG throws out some like legalese and I just don't don't know what it means. And so this is better. We're doing doing good. You're doing real well. We're we're building a history here in our new country of leguminadia. (laughs) The keepers of the beans. (laughs) <laughs> um, wait, I have some pretty good news that is kind of weird and funny. All right. Yeah, hit, hit me. OK, so um, as you know, I've been filming this movie in Boston and, you know, it's with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. So we were filming in a mall just the other day over the course of two days. And, and the mall is like a functioning mall and it is what it is. And they can't close off the entire mall. Right. So there are people that have sort of gathered up on the second floor of the mall that looks into the courtyard where we're shooting to get a glimpse of Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. Little do they know that Will Ferrell is uh, not shooting those days, but there's, you know, but, but they'll take Ryan and who wouldn't? Big movie star, right? So I guess somebody sold the photos that they were taking of us doing the scene <laughs> to like the Daily Mail, right? So my mother sends me uh, she goes, did you know you made the paparazzi? And so I click on the thing and it's like 
Ryan, movie star Ryan Reynolds seems grumpy at the mall with like unnamed woman. And that (laughs) unnamed woman is me. And here's the thing. I'm not going to spoil the movie for you or what my character does. But I, you know, he's, you know, spoiler alert, the Scrooge of the movie. And and I'm like this happy-go-lucky girl next door. So in every photo, he's like looking kind of sexy and smoldering. And I kid you not, I'm doing this. (laughs) looking like the happiest bitch you have ever seen. And I really had a shot here to be like the sexy, cool girl in this movie. And I just decided to make that face instead. So, hey, that's good news. I made the Daily Mail. The bad news is um, I'm unnamed woman and I look very unattractive standing to a very uh, next to a very attractive man. So there's that. And that shows the the lack of depth of knowledge of pop culture knowledge yeah. at the Daily Mail, because a much better headline would be Ryan Reynolds seen with Shira or, you know, yeah. S- uh, I mean, yeah. come on. And then on the comments, because I hate myself, I guess, and I read the comments, because who would oh, right? Yeah, so someone's bad. like, someone's like, who's that? And someone goes, Mila Kunis. And this other person goes, no, it's not. It's Amy Carrero. And the person writes back, who? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I have arrived. Listen, I, I, I love it. I'll take Mila Kunis any fucking days. Anyone thinks uh, I look yeah. good, I will take it. Yeah, because if they saw me with him, they'd be like, who's the real old Chloe Sevigny with <laughs> with Ryan Reynolds? Chloe Sevigny is a chic AF, by the way. I would love <laughs> to get Chloe Sevigny. I don't have enough good style for that. But yeah, well, I, I'll... with the dime store Drew Barrymore? What is she doing there? <laughs> the tattooed Drew Barrymore. Did you guys know she's yeah. got all these tattoos? Yeah, what happened to... <laughs> <laughs> It would be one of those before and I'm like, oh, look what happened to Drew Barrymore. Oh, my God. Oh. I love uh, it. Yeah. I love it. There you go. Anyway, that's hilarious. And thank you for sharing that. Mm. My good news. I got a mammogram and a full blood panel today. And it's free because I'm a veteran and yeah. everyone should have that in this country. Woo-woo. Good. That's, that's great. All. I agree. Everyone should have it. And I'm so glad that you went and did that and took care of yourself because during the pandemic, I heard this thing where people just were putting that off and, you know, putting off that kind of screening is is rarely a good thing. So go get your boobies smushed. Yeah. Get the boobs smashed, especially if it runs in your family, which yep. it does in mine. So do it. Make it, it make live your dreams. Although my tech today was she was awesome. Oh, she, good. She was rad. So we had we had a good time. If you have to get your your boob pancaked, you might as well. It helps to have a friendly tech. Yep, for for reals. And uh, I appreciate all of our healthcare workers, frontline workers, and everybody who is out there fighting the good fight. Keep it going. It's, I think, about to get real rough. Yes. So uh, get vaccinated. I don't really have to tell anyone listening. Uh, yeah. I, I, I assume we're well over 80%. <laughs> oh, our, listen, if, if, the B, if the Leguminati was a, uh, was a state, we would be fucking... We would, first of all, have to put up some border walls. Be- well, uh, that sounds weird. Mm. <laughs> but we'd have, to, we'd have to be really careful because we would be so, we would be like 100% backed or at least 90%. Yeah. Everyone who could get vaxxed would be. And, you know, we have, we have a great court system already. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we've already got some precedent laid down. I mm-hmm. think it would be. Kepala. Yes. All right. Well, thank you. It was great to talk to you. I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend and uh, we will all see you next week. There will be a couple, a little bit of Mandy Reader going on next week, a little bit of me by myself, maybe some other guest hosts. I don't know because Dana's out of town. But uh, until I speak to you this weekend on Muller She Wrote, 
everyone, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. Yeah. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.